Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Plant Powered People Podcast with your hosts, Michelle Kane and Tony Okamoto. Today, I'm really excited to welcome on Danny Costanzo, who is the owner of Plant Based Mafia, a restaurant in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida. I know of it because my in-laws are very, very, very into it. They love eating there. And it's, um, as you'll hear in the episode, it's got a different vibe than most vegan restaurants. And so when I was there, I got to meet the owner, who is Danny Costanzo, and his brother, Ben, and meet them more personally because the vibe of the restaurant is really family oriented and friendly and they come and sit with you and, and everybody knows each other. So I was excited to chat with him about how he got to where he is today and was blown away by his story. It's so interesting, fascinating even to hear how he went from growing up in a family with rich and decadent foods to then going to eating raw foods <laughs> and then going and and eating just everything and really suffering some pretty severe consequences as a result uh, to now where he is today and and it's it's it, it it is as interesting of a story as I thought it would be and if you or anyone you know has or struggles with heart disease we're going to touch on that in this episode and I think it's really important and he shares a lot of really valuable information so I'm excited we're excited to bring on Danny Before we jump in, we want to give a big thank you to our sponsor of this episode, Caraway Home. If you love cooking, if you have been thinking about upgrading your pots and pans and bakeware, definitely check out Caraway Home. They make it the most beautiful, modern, non-toxic, eco-friendly, non-stick, easy-to-clean cookware. It features ceramic coating, which has this like natural slick surface. So when you're cooking food and it sort of sticks to the pots and the pans, that really doesn't really happen with these. And it just slides off when you're washing them. So it makes cleaning your pans so easy. And that makes cooking delicious vegan meals so much easier. They come in gorgeous colors. I have the slate green and I love them. And we're just really obsessed with ours. So definitely check out carawayhome.com. And at carawayhome.com, you can also use the code plantpoweredkitchen at checkout for 10% off of your next purchase. And we're also going to include that in our show notes. So check that out and happy cooking. Hi, Danny. Thank you so much for coming on to the Plant Power People podcast. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We're really grateful to have you on the show. Um, I I got a chance to meet Danny when I was visiting my in-laws who are a huge fan of his restaurant, Plant-Based Mafia and Palm Beach Gardens. They order in all the time, but we ate there and it was a tasty experience. I've had both the um, delicious, delicious marinara and also... What's the chicken sandwich called? Well, there's a bunch of them. You got the Chicky Braxel, the Long Islander, the Kosher Cowboy, the Johnny mm. Gleason. <laughs> I think it was the Johnny Gleason. Is that the one with mayo and lettuce? And yes, and, um, that's the classic kind of like Long Island. Yep. Oh, oh, yep. That's the one. Oh, that's so good. Uh, so I'm really excited to be chatting with you today. And I would love to, there's just so much to dive into. But let's start from the very beginning. If you could tell us where you're from and what your family, 
fed you and how they taught you about food growing up? Well, I grew up in Oceanside, which is on Long Island, New York. And I grew up 100% Sicilian, typical, big Italian family, food-centric. And everything we did revolved around food. But I feel like growing up, I remember being really young. My father was always like a fun guy and my mother too. And food revolved around that, that, that fun, like being fun, right? So it's like movie night, like let's make the homemade popcorn, you know, Saturday morning, let's, you know, eat pancakes and French toast. And so, you know, Sunday nights at my grandmother for, you know, grandparents with all the tremendous pasta dishes and my my both my grandparents were great cooks. My one grandmother on my mother's side was a baker. So it's like every time you went there, it's like I could remember I could see it now. It's like ev- like cookies and cakes, all homemade. The only the only thing that they bought from the store was Entenmann's cake, coffee cake, because there always had to be an Entenmann's coffee cake. Every Italian family from the 70s and 80s will tell you that it had to be there because if there was guests, you had to have the coffee cake ready to go. But, you know, my grandmother, you know, Everest Bakery, uh, Everest Bakery um, for the rolls, the fresh rolls, eggs on Sunday morning, pancakes Saturday morning. So we just grew up in this kind of food centric lifestyle and you become not only addicted to the food, but you become addicted to the, the social element behind the food. Italian culture sounds a lot like Mexican culture where it's it is the bonding experience it is how you show your affection and your admiration and your uh, appreciation and a celebration everything goes hand in hand with food sharing and I even in my adulthood express that I when it when it's your birthday I want to cook for you and bring you a cake and and when you're sad I want to bring you a bowl of soup uh, so I totally understand what you're saying, it it definitely resonates with me that um, growing up with family and food being tied together. Yes, absolutely. Is that something that you ended up bringing into your adulthood as well? I mean, yeah, it was. And it's still here, except I bring vegan, you know, entrees to the barbecue now and I cook bring vegan burgers and because of I'm such a, a good cook and creator of the vegan vegan cuisine uh mimicking what traditional food tastes like people who I feed it to are just you know astonished at how good the food tastes but it it has taken many many years transitionally um to and progressively to get to a place where I am now very comfortable in my plant-based lifestyle. And there's a certain maturing that has to happen because you have to let go of those old memories. You know, my parent, my, my mother passed when I was 12. My father's still alive. He's remarried. They're all about the food. You know, they're not vegan, but my, you know, most of my family's not vegan. So, you know, those memories are still intact. They're still intact. So it's difficult to let go of that, but there has to be a maturing because it is now about my health and about my future. When did you start that maturing process and being okay with at least converting your family's food into 
healthier options for you or that suited where you are at the time now and at that at that time well there's, there's a progressive story so let me put a little context on it so in 2005 um i went skiing for the first time i was always pretty athletic i was a surfer growing up that's all i cared about and i was like oh i'm gonna i'm gonna pick this up no problem and instead of getting lessons and getting traditional skis i got these non-breakaway stunt skis they're like half the size and exactly what I expected. I picked it up quick. And like by midday, I was like hitting black diamonds. Unfortunately, I broke my leg in 12 places. And that started a downward slope for me. I was very, I was pretty successful at that time. I'm not married, no kids, living a phenomenal life. Um, I had two businesses and right away, and I was also very active. I was on like two softball teams, you know, always traveling, going out. And then just like that, boom, done. I knew that I had no life for 12 months and I turned to, instead of painkillers, I smoked a lot of pot, which helped. It really did. I didn't want to get addicted to painkillers, but the pain was immense. I mean, my leg was mangled and I was eating, eating like I've never ate before in my life, just sitting in the chair, watching movies and that I was tied up like that for almost 12 months. And on the 14th month, the leg broke again. And... I was out of commission for two and a half months and I put on like 75 pounds. Now jump forward to like 2008 and I just went for a random um, cardiology test. I'd never been to a cardiologist. And when I left there, he was like, dude, like all of your numbers are off the chart. So I had, now I'm sitting at the heaviest weight I've ever been at. Probably like I was like, uh, 240, something like that, 250. I mean, I'm sorry, 340, 350, heaviest weight I've ever been at. And I was, I always believed in like mind over matter. I did always kind of believe like, Hey, food can heal, but I just never practice it. I did have a reflexologist and she's like, don't start on all these medications yet. Go to this place in West Palm Beach, Florida called Hippocrates. It's a raw food Institute. They're doing amazing things with healing people. Literally the next day, I booked three weeks and I was out the door. I went down there and I wound up spending six weeks there. I met a girl there that I fell in love with in like three days. She had stage four breast cancer. And I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm a savior and I'm going to stick by her side. My mother died of cancer. So there's probably some sort of social, some mental connection there, um, emotional connection. And I wound up purchasing her another two weeks. So we were together for five weeks. And in that time, dramatic healing happened. I dropped, it was like 60 pounds in six weeks. It was unbelievable. I went back home and people were like, what the hell happened to you? But I wound up moving from New York to North Carolina, where she lived in July of 2009. And this was going to be my life. She was a raw foodist. I'm like, I'm going to transform. We're going to have a garden. We're going to grow sprouts. We're going to do wheatgrass. Well, she passes away in 2011. And that dream kind of came crashing down. And I wound up moving to LA. And between 2011 and 2014, I really let myself go. I did not care whether I lived or died. I lost the love of my life. Nothing made sense. But I was in LA building a successful film production company and a management company. 
and living this LA lifestyle, eating out every day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, going to the Hollywood Hill parties, you know, hanging out with celebrities and just living this ridiculous lifestyle. And then one day I woke up and I was 375 pounds. I'm like, I'm really like, I'm like knocking on death's door. I've got terrible sleep apnea. I have to be on blood pressure meds, um, which wasn't even controlled. I need to be on cholesterol meds. And, you know, I can't even walk up a flight of stairs anymore. So I, at that point, I was really like, I'm going to die. And I knew it, felt it like in my heart, in my mind, my soul. I'm like, I'm going to die very soon. And that is like, that was a big eye opener for me. Um, yeah, that is a, that is a lot of a journey to go through in a relatively short period of time. First of all, losing someone so close to you. I'm just so sorry from the bottom of my heart. That is a lot. Um, also scrolling back to just going from eating everything and a really comfort food, Italian, rich, uh, delicious lifestyle to swapping directly to fully raw foods, that's a, that's a huge transition. Can you talk a little bit about what that felt like? What, what was that hard? Was it a challenge? And how did you get through that for that, that period? Well, I'll I'll say this when I, it's very vivid because I remember when in 2008, it was November of 2008, when the cardiologist got back to me, like that was the first time in my life that I had uh, felt like the fragility of life. I always thought that I was indestructible and I lived my life like that. And the fear of dying at such a young age made it easy in the uh, short term. So I really went from eating pizza every night, eating out at great steakhouses, you name it, to eating sprouts overnight, drinking you know blue and green algae you know, having Bragg's amino acids, like all of this. It was not hard in the interim. And after, it wasn't as hard as I thought it would be because I had this motivation, which was this girl. So I had to be healthy for her. So that love made it easy. And there were still struggles every once in a while. It's like, man, I miss a cheesesteak. I miss a piece of pizza. But I understood what I was giving up was for this greater good for my health and for her. But it would really when she died, that was when I went, that was when I gave it all up. It was so much easier at that point to go back because I realized I wasn't necessarily doing it for myself. I was doing it for this other person. And now I, everything I do is for myself. You have to kind of be, um, you have to be a little selfish in that sense. And it is, it has to be for yourself because if you do it for anybody else, you will fail every single time. So after she passed away, what was her name? Her name was Kelly. After Kelly? Yeah. After Kelly passed away and uh, you were in a pretty dark place, you went home and did you immediately pick up where you had left off or was it this progression back into like a, a dark place and dark habits that you used to have before? Well, when she passed away, I wound up moving to L.A. She, right before she passed, she was in hospice care and was basically like, go to LA, live your dream. And I did. I went, she passed. And 
as quickly as I jumped on the plant-based bandwagon was as quickly as I jumped off. And I spent the next several years from 2011 to 2014 eating myself into an early grave. And it was really, 2014 was another big eye opener. So I was in my apartment in LA and my phone was like blowing up early morning and call me, call me, call me, call me, call me. So my, of course you get that like gut feeling. And I find out that my best friend, John Gleason, passes away. And he is a staple. His name is several dishes on our, on our menu in our restaurant. So I find out he passes away. He was in jail for a, a petty charge. Great guy, family man, got caught up um, with some drugs. Um, but because he got injured. Long Island was a hotbed for prescription painkiller drugs. And um, there were a lot of doctors on Long Island that were feeding drugs to, to people who got injured, especially construction workers. So I just want to put some context on that. Like he was a great guy, owned a house, was a master electrician, just got caught up in that. And he was going to be out in like two weeks. He had a blood um, allergy where his extremities would blow up and he would get this weird thing where his neck would blow up and he would just have to like take Benadryl or sometimes we'd have to go to the ER. I'd be with him. They'd give him a quick shot. He'd be fine. They let him suffocate to death in jail for basically 12 to 14 hours until his heart blew up. So that was like so devastating to know how simple his survival would have been. And literally the jail's connected to the hospital. So I wind up flying home. I'm so stressed out, heartbroken, devastated. I'm never going to, you know, go camping with this guy again, do our Atlantic City trips, travel, whatever. And all the boys are back together. We're out drinking every night. We're eating every night. And then I go home for a few weeks. And then I woke up like the Thursday after his funeral. And I had this weird like breathing thing. I, it's hard to explain because I wasn't short of breath at all. But it was like the sensation that I needed to take this deep breath. And I said, ah, maybe I just need to go work out a little bit. And even at 375, I was active and strong and still like flexible and, and still worked out. And I was at the gym. I'm like, let me just do a little cardio. I wound up boxing for like an hour. Maybe I just need to open my lungs and de-stress. And I went to a chiropractor and I got adjusted. And I was explaining to the chiropractor what was going on. And he grabbed my ankle. And he was like squeezing it. And he's like, I think you're, in, you're having digestive heart failure, congestive heart failure. And I said, no, I don't feel anything. I feel fine. I'm overweight, but I feel great. And he goes, please go to the ER. I wound up going to the ER and they ran all these tests and they didn't find anything. Yet, yet I had this, this sensation. So they said, can we give you an angiogram? You know, because of your weight and your, your, you know, you're not old, but just let's take a preventive you know, measure here. And guess what? They found two blocked arteries. I was amazed. And they were kind of amazed too, because they're like, you're so young to have such blocked arteries. So they put stents in, they're like, the breathing thing will go away. Well, guess what? A week later, the breathing thing didn't go away. And my friend takes me to another hospital in Long Island that they're like cardiac specialists. And they find another clogged artery. They put two more stents in there and they tell me the breathing thing's going to go away. Well, guess what? A month later, the breathing thing is still there, unexplainable. Pulmonologists can't explain it, nobody. 
I wound up diagnosing it myself through Google, shockingly, I had a hiatal hernia that is activated by stress. This sounds crazy because, you know, it's Google, right? But I read hundreds and hundreds of the same phenomenon, stories of the same phenomenon. And I wound up going to a special chiropractor that did this hiatal hernia adjustment and the sensation goes away. To this day, I still have to do it. But if it wasn't for the stress of finding out that my friend passed away, which triggered the hiatal hernia, I would have never went to the hospital and I would have, I I most likely would have had a massive heart attack and died. And it was at that point that I knew I had to make a big change. And I didn't make a plant-based change immediately. I like went paleo for the short, short term. I was like eating like all this meat and stuff. And I lost a little bit of weight, but something just didn't feel right. And that's that probably going into uh, mid-2015, I stumbled upon Dr. Esselstein, Dr. Greger, Dr. McDougall. Now I'm like uh, obsessed with Dr. Furman and his, um, uh, his plan for you know um, nutritional excellence and being a nutritarian. And it was really at about that time that the real mental transformation started happening. And I started an organization called Heart Disease Mafia, where I started doing all these videos and I read Dr. Esselstein's whole book and I was introducing people to the China study. And then I changed it to plant-based mafia because I knew I could, I was like, hey, I'm going to cook food and start a restaurant and jump forward. You know, here we are now with plant-based mafia and all the things that we're doing. That's a, that's quite a life up until now. What did your family think? I'm sure they were supportive because they knew the consequence of continuing eating whatever you wanted could be really devastating. Um, but were they accommodating? Yeah, my family's really supportive. I've always been kind of a a free spirit. Um, so, and they knew, they understand my personality and they're like, my father's always been very, you know, supportive. Just go out in the world, do what you do, make yourself happy. It was like a quick, quick side story just to give you an example. Like when I was 20, I went on this crazy uh, crossroad trip uh, with a bunch of friends. We had this big bus that we renovated into a camper and I just left them a note that eagles must fly free. So that like still circulates in my family. You know, my father was like, do what you got to do. You know, I'm calling him from like the middle of Wyoming and you know, the middle of Arkansas. So in that sense, they were like, you know, they trusted me too, because they knew that I was a, um, observant and uh, a curious person and a researcher. And that if I'm bringing them information, most likely it's legitimate and true. So they're very supportive. That's awesome that you had the support of your family. I'm curious to dig dig a little bit more into heart disease. I mean, it's the number one cause of death in the United States. Everyone knows someone or has lost someone struggling with heart disease or who's had a heart attack. It's just so commonplace. And it's the type of thing where pretty much anyone eating a standard American diet eventually gets there, right? Like if we live long enough, we eventually get heart disease when we're eating that way. Um, Right. So I'm curious if you can talk a little bit about sort of the health implications um, of both trying to eat fully raw, what did that do to your health? And then later when you discovered Dr. Esselstein's work and all these doctors that you've been studying, uh, how that changed what you were eating and then how that impacted your health. And also I'm curious if you could 
explain a little bit more from your experience what it was like to have clogged arteries and then did they get unclogged when your when your diet changed sure so i guess let's the first question was um about um the food correct like what uh what the transition was when i started eating the food was that the first question that you had asked yeah basically how did it impact your health like were yeah because i know like dr Esselstyn wrote prevent and reverse heart disease and does yeah. So, so what happened? Did you get to feel more energy or did your cholesterol numbers go down? How did that sort of translate health wise? So I'm an, I'm my own individual, right? So I guess everybody's experience is going to be a little different, but for me, some, one of the first big things that you start to experience is I actually start to feel colder because from my experience at Hippocrates and looking at my blood under the microscope, your blood starts to thin very rapidly. And then the pressure that your heart has to pump out to push the blood through your arteries, because you know, when you're eating so unhealthy and everything's inflamed, your arteries are, you know, closing in, right? So that's the first thing that I started to experience. And then this um kind of a fogginess goes away. That was really amazing. Um the ability to sleep better. That was really great. Um, you actually start to see your skin start to look younger. So there is that aspect, which is like, everyone wants to look good and feel good. And you're like, you walk past the mirror and you're like, hey, I look different today. And then other people around you, there's this energy that starts to um, emanate from you. It really does. And people start to say, hey, you look good. Are you doing something different? Did you lose a little bit of weight? It's really the energy from the living foods. You're eating these living foods that are full of vibrations. They're full of electric. That's this life, you know, um, this food that's full of life, right? So So all of these things start to happen to you. Cholesterol goes down. Blood pressure goes down. Your confidence starts to go through the roof. And that might happen too, like, you know, if you just cut calories on a regular diet, but I, all of these other things, so if you're eating the standard American diet, 10 burgers a day, and you cut yourself to five, maybe you'll drop a little bit of weight, but the long-term health consequences are so damaging. Whereas this plant-based lifestyle, all these amazing things start to happen to you. And that, those are, and they still happen to this day especially when you adjust your diet, you start adding new supplements, you start adding new um, different types of, of food that you haven't eaten before, you start switching up your, your recipes. Um, so that was, that was something that was fantastic. And, and as far as like the heart disease goes, the data shows, and, and the, the tens of thousands of people that have stuck strictly to this plant-based diet, that not only does the progression of the coronary artery disease stop dead in its tracks, but it starts to regress. Now, if you're someone who's had a massive heart attack and you have significant damage to your heart and you have significant scar tissue, well, those things might not necessarily heal, but you will strengthen your heart, you will strengthen your arteries. And when you stick to this diet long enough, you are going to significantly reduce the existing plaque. But 
there's something that's important to know that I actually learned from Dr. Furman, that in, in many cases, it's not the age old plaque. You know, someone could have like a, um, an artery that has a 65, 70% blockage, but it's been like that for 20 years. That's not the artery or the plaque that's going to kill you. It's what Dr. Furman called as the unstable plaque, where the, the base of the plaque is very unstable. The cap over the plaque is unstable. And that is typically where the heart attack happens, where that breaks apart, a clot happens and goes to the brain or, or goes to the heart. So the plant-based diet not only strengthens the artery wall, um, pumps a ton of nitric oxide through your body, which then in turn produces endothelial cells which strengthen and make your artery walls elastic, but it also starts to break apart the plaque, liquefies it, and it regresses it. And if you get to a point out, these are not my words, these are from the people that I've studied, like with Dr. Furman and Dr. Esselstyn, if you can have an LDL under 70 and a total cholesterol at 150 or below, and your inflammation levels are normal, and your triglyceride levels are normal, and your blood pressure levels are normal, you become practically heart attack free. Now, that's not a 100% guarantee for anyone, but you've put yourself in that bracket of being like the 99% that have now significantly reduced the chance of a heart attack. But more importantly, you could be 80 years old running marathons. Whereas you see 40-year-olds that can't get out of bed, you know, or even, you know, at my restaurant, we have some young people that they do one thing for 15 minutes and they're out of breath. So that is the significant, incredible power of the lifestyle, the plant-based lifestyle. And it's not just about clearing plaque, but it's about preventing cancer, preventing diabetes, preventing Alzheimer's, preventing dementia, because now they're showing that some forms of the dementia and Alzheimer are just plaque buildup in the small blood vessels in the brain that provide oxygen and blood flow to your brain. So there's a host of um, of things that um, th that are that happen to the body. Not to mention too, you know, uh, your sex life. You know, that's a that's a tough topic for married couples as they're getting older and they're getting out of shape. And it's a, a big part of, of couples starting to, you know, break away. This lifestyle significantly improves that aspect of someone's life, which is really important for, you know, a loving long-term, you know, relationship. So those are just some of the amazing benefits of living this lifestyle. That's so cool to hear all bundled up. Yeah, it is, it's pretty neat that eating plant-based has so many benefits and it's almost always someone will do it for one reason, but there's 50 other things that happen that are just like surprise benefit consequences that you never expected, which is so cool. Oh, um, yeah, I will ask you after we record to send along some of your favorite resources and books and just like the things that you dove into that you found really helpful documentaries. And we'll include all of that in the show notes at, at plantpoweredpodcast.com just because I'm sure a lot of people will want to, to dive in. This is something that touches most of us. So I really, really appreciate that. Yeah, no problem. Okay, so we're, we're, we're almost at present day. You had... Um, healthy, no, healthy based mafia. Is that what it was? Health, 
uh, it was heart, it started out as uh, heart disease. Oh, mafia. Heart disease mafia. You started out with heart disease mafia and then quickly went into plant-based mafia. And I know that you, you had a cooking contest. Is that someone had a cooking contest and that's how you developed some of the core products of your restaurant? Yeah. Well, before I went plant-based, I used to make this really, really delicious baked ziti, which I called like my sweet ziti, where I used like a pastry cheese, um, a pastry ricotta, and I served it with powdered sugar. And people, so I would throw, I would, I would host parties in LA and I would do all the cooking. And a friend of mine was like, Hey, you need to come on my reality TV show, my cooking show, and you got to cook that pasta. So to, to be clear, it wasn't vegan at the time, but what happened was I took that same exact dish onto the show and we won this, we, I won, I beat all these celebrity chefs. It was amazing. And then when I started trans, transforming all of these recipes, still throwing the same parties, I started feeding everyone plant-based. I took that same exact recipe, same sauce, everything, and I transformed it. And, you, and there was no difference in taste and people just fell in love with it. And I had a girlfriend at the time who was like, you should change that name because if it was something like plant, it was really her idea. She's like, plant-based mafia, just threw it out. You can make money on that. You can maybe start a restaurant and all this food that you're cooking, you know, that could be like part of the restaurant and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, okay, I'll do that. You know, she was a like hardcore entrepreneur and, you know, come up with a logo and start making hats and do a website. And I was like, sounds great. And that's kind of where it all began. And the, I just started taking these recipes that I grew up with and also like restaurants that I ate at and delis that we ate at. What did we love from New York? Like um, the chicken sandwich we were talking about. If you go to a New York Italian deli, you say, hey, can I get a semolina with a uh, you know, fried chicken cutlet, uh, shredded lettuce, fresh mozzarella, and uh, mayo, salt, and pepper? That's the sandwich, except it's all vegan now. And it tastes just as good. So I took all of those recipes that we grew up with, some a lot of family recipes and recipes that I, food that I love, and we transformed them into plant-based mafia. One of my favorite things that I observed at the, at the restaurant was, okay, well, let me, let me give some context first. I used to work at a vegan restaurant in, 20, in 2008, maybe 2000. 2008 or 2009. And, uh, it had a vegan vibe. It was, um, everyone there was really alternative, uh, piercings, hair colors, um, and everything was kind of mismatched and, uh, thrown together kind of bohemian style. And we had an alternating menu. So Anytime you came in, there was everyone was like, "Oh, I came here last time and I wanted this thing. It was so good." And then it would always it would be gone forever. Oh, yeah. um, and, and so it was just this like no unconventional place. And um, and what I like about your restaurant and what I'm always su- surprised by is that it's like you all are normal people with a, a normal restaurant with food that happens to be vegan and even more so the, I know that your, your brother is who I met Ben 
Yes. I met Ben and both of you look like just like normal dudes. Uh, not, not that I, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Michelle, I know exactly what you're saying. Okay. I feel like <laughs> vegan. You don't usually walk in and see big, strong Italian dudes like men. Yeah. Yeah. So like, serving you up to Yes. Yes. Typically yep. you see like the very thin bohemian, like doing yoga in the back. Yes, I yeah. totally get it. And, <laughs> and, and, I, and I like yoga. So let me make point that out. <laughs> and it's just like, it's a warm feel and it does remind me of going into some um, Italian restaurants in New York. Well, that's the vibe that we brought because I can't, we can only be our authentic self. You know, I can't make pretend that I'm a hippie, even though I hitchhiked <laughs> all over the country and I wore a dress once with long hair. Um, I'm just still an Italian at heart. I was traveling with a, a group of, you know, the, the jam bands back in the day. So, um, and I loved all of that, but we still, at the end of the day, you know, I drove a Cadillac for 10 years. So it's, it's who we are. And when you come into our restaurant, we are going to treat you like family because that's how a traditional New York Italian restaurant treats you. That's how I got treated when I went to the Italian restaurants. Hey, how are you? Welcome. Give you a kiss on both cheeks. Hey, every restaurant I went to. So we don't know any other way other also, than hospitality. To your point, I think Ben sat at our table with us while he took our order. I think he was like, he was ta- he knows my in-laws and I think he was like chatting with us and he sat down for a bit, grabbed, pulled up a chair and was like, okay, what, what do you guys want today? And he explained some of the menu and it did have this really comforting feel that, that also makes you want to come back because you, you feel that connection. That's, I'm glad you, you picked up on that because, you know, when I started this, it was started as, it was never going to be just a sit-down restaurant. Our big plan is to chain, to create a chain of these restaurants um, all over the country. And that's what we're doing 100%. But I, I, when we sat down, we developed our culture and we said our culture like at first, it's like, oh, we kind of have to maybe fit into the vegan lifestyle. We visit a bunch of vegan restaurants. I'm like, they're just so cold, though. They don't feel hospitable. They don't feel welcoming like the way we grew up. Let's just be who we are. And, you know, of course, the mafia theme was very important part of what we were. And there's a backstory on that we can get into if you want to. But I was like, this is all culture. This is who we are. If you come to our home, it's what can I make you to eat? No, you can't leave until you eat. What can I get you? Um, do you need money? You know, do you need a place to sleep tonight? Like whatever you need, you need to borrow my car for an hour, whatever. That's the way we're going to treat our restaurant. You don't like a meal that you got? No big deal. We're going to throw it out. We're going to make you another meal. I don't care if I don't make money on you or if I lose money on you today. The most important thing is that you leave here having a great experience. And that is the culture of who we are. And every single restaurant we build is going to be like that. Danny noted, next time I'm visiting my in-laws, I have a car to drive. I have a place to stay. (laughs) (laughs) 
I also think it's really awesome. Before we started recording this podcast, we were talking about other episodes that we want to do for the future. And one of the struggles that we know a lot of people have is they feel very lonely and their family is not on board and they don't have friends. And to be able to go into... uh, like a restaurant and feel like you have a type of a family (laughs) in that restaurant is a huge gift that you're giving to people who feel alone in the way that they're eating. So I just want to say thank you for being that for people. No problem. And our restaurant's diverse too. It's not like we don't get the hippies in there. So it's very funny (laughs) because we will have like a group of like young socialist Antifa types at one table And like right next to them are these like old Christian conservative couple. Not joking at all. Happens all the time. And guess what? Everyone gets along. Inside that restaurant, we're like, we're an apolitical establishment. It's all about the food. I don't care what you do outside those doors. When you come in here, this is a celebration of food. And that is it. And it's a celebration of delicious vegan plant-based food. And that is the one thing that is so important, like as a community, whatever our differences is, outside, whether it be one thing or the other, inside here, we think alike, because we're all here for the same purpose. And that's really one of the things that we love. There's this togetherness with inside of our restaurant that oftentimes we're like, why can't it be the same out there, right? You know, but inside, it's, it's really like this unbelievable, like, um, this unbelievable community where everyone's just enjoying the food. They're enthralled in the food. And it's sad to see things so differently outside, but at least for a short term within our little world that we've created, there's this like unity, right? And that's really awesome. Can you tell us the story behind behind the mafia? Now I'm really curious about it. Yeah. So, man, so this is like... Um, it's a tough one because, you know, I never understood really what it meant to be, um, to I, I, like, you know, people talk about racism or they talk about bigotry or they talk about things like that. I'm like, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily think I've ever personally experienced that in life living in my earlier bubble. Although when I traveled around the country, it was like, oh, you guys are from New York. Oh, you're Italian? It's like, you don't even think twice about it, though. But when I moved to L.A., I never experienced more more of that stuff in my entire life as an Italian. It was unbelievable to me. And it was always linked back to the mafia. So I was always marginalized because it's like, you're Italian. Where do you get your money from? You have to be in the mafia. And I started a production company with a a guy who I met out in LA who used to work for Tyler Perry. And he was like his script supervisor, assistant producer, et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, listen, I got a bunch of, a bunch of coin. I'm going to put it in the bank and we're going to develop projects. We're going to buy scripts. We're going to do X, Y, and Z. And immediately we started going to all of the big um, agencies, William Morris, CAA, Gersh, you name it, started taking meetings. And every time we left a meeting, my partner would call me up and say, dude, every single one of these people are like, yo, we need to do a background check on him. We don't get involved in mafia money. I'm like, mafia money. I'm like, did we, how how am I the mafia? Because my last name, it's like, we don't even have a conversation. I don't understand. This is like beyond ridiculous at this point. And then two big things happened. I was at a CAA party 
I don't, uh, you guys know what that is, who CAA is, right? The big uh, talent agency, William Morris, you know, are you familiar with them? CAA, no, I think of the Culinary Institute of America. <laughs> no, CAA and William Morris are like the two biggest talent agents. Um, CAA is huge. They're like second, like just, they're like the Google, like there's Facebook and Google, right? So CAA would be Facebook, William Morris would be Google. So I'm at this party and one of the agents comes up to me. He's like, Hey, Danny, how you doing, man? Yo, can I talk to you? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's up, bro? He's like, yo, you got to like, um, kind of whitewash how you talk. I'm like, how I talk. He's like, see that right there. Talk. He's like, you're just too like New York, too Italian. If you want to make it in this town, you got to change, man. And I'm like, are you really, do you know how racist that is, bro? I'm like, would you say that to me if you were a minority, if you were Latino or Asian or, or black, would you tell someone to speak differently, to change the way they, this is crazy, dude. And then like a month later, I was trying to rent this penthouse apartment. And I was, I was living in this really nice apartment complex over by Runyon Canyon and a, a penthouse became available. And I'm like, I want to get that. And a new management company had just come into, into the, into the, into this building. And I tried to get it. And she like tried to charge me this insane amount. And I'm like, that's not, that is like 3000 over what the last people were paying. And I'm like, that's not, um, that's definitely not what this, you know, the value of that apartment, you know, can we negotiate? And the, the conversation ended there. And then we had another conversation. Something told me to record the conversation because something felt off. And she literally said to my face, I will never rent to a greasy guinea like you. And I'm like, what? I'm like, I, like what I dress nice. I don't come off. Like I'm not wearing fedoras. I don't walk around in wife, you know, the, the tank tops as the, the old Italians used to call them the wife beaters. Like I'm not, I don't have sauce on my shirt. I drove, drove a beautiful Mercedes. I'm like, how do you come off like that? And it was at that moment, I'm like, this mafia thing is killing my Italian culture. Cause even my management company that I had, all my Italian actors, all of the roles that they would be asked to um, uh, read for were all gangster roles. You were either the comedic, dumb Italian gangster, or you were the killer, dumb Italian gangster. And I'm like, this is ridiculous, man. So I started doing research and the word mafia doesn't mean what it means in America. The original definition of mafia is bold and beautiful. That's the word. That's what it meant. And there's a great story behind that word that goes back to a play from Sicily in the late 1800s. And the producer of the play couldn't come up with a name. This is how this word took off and became something different. But he saw these two Italians arguing on the street. And the one guy said to the other guy, why don't you treat the me like a mafiosa? Meaning, why don't you treat me beautifully? Why don't you, tr you know, treat me, treat me well, treat me the way I deserve to be treated. And he took that mafiosa and named his play and the play was about prison gangs. And now all of a sudden, this word became this other thing, traveled to America on the boat. And now mafia is, you know, Italian people synonymous with mafia. And I'm like, we got to take that word and turn it on its head. We got to redefine what that word means. And that's why I went with plant-based mafia. And we agreed on that 
I'm like, every time someone comes in, we'll embrace that part of our history, but let's also embrace the wonderful things, the culinary um, uh, contributions, the artistic contributions, painting, poetry, music. And that's why we took that approach. So we will live up to this dark piece of our history, but we're also, so by embracing it, we also are able to sanitize it and then also, you know, showcase all these other amazing cultural things. And that's really where that work, that's really where that came from. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. That's a, it's interesting how language goes, how someone can take something and make it into make something so beautiful into something that can be ugly um, and how there are people like you. Um, what's that word when you're trying to um, reclaim it, reclaim, yes. reclaim yes. the word and uh, turn it back into its original meaning. So uh-huh. what's on the horizon for you and plant-based mafia? Well, I'm glad you asked that. So we are in the process of moving to Orlando, me and one of my partners, and we're going to be opening up five locations up there. We are transformed. So the restaurant that you visited was our sit down version, but we're going to be transforming the model into what's called a limited service. So if you've ever eaten at like a payway, so you order your food at the, at the register, sit down, we bring it out to you, but it's going to have the same feel, the same look, Next Wednesday, we have this great like 10-hour um, creative meeting with this unbelievable company called Push out in Orlando, and they are responsible for developing so many tremendous models that have gone on to be great, great restaurants. And that's the way that we're going to be able to build, you know, three, four, five hundred locations, you know, all over the country, if not worldwide. So same feel, same look, very similar menu, same culture, but just, you know, in the kind of the quick serve space. Well, I, for one, I'm so excited. I don't know when the next time I'm going to be in Florida is. So I need it to come to me too. And all the people. Yes. Um, And I I know this is sort of circling back, but I just want to just acknowledge what you shared was pretty heavy. What what you've experienced other people hating. Um, And... Whew, I just, I, it's, yeah, you just don't even, you just assume this stuff is not going on to the extent that it is. And I just think it's just very, very sad that this exists and that you had to experience so much of it and so beautiful and inspiring and strong to not shy away from the word that people have used to try and make you feel less than and instead take that ownership and help empower everyone else who's going through that same exact walk of life. And not everyone's strong enough to take the word and reclaim it. You know what I mean? And so you're giving them that, that, um, example that, that it's okay. And that it is beautiful. Yeah, so we, I just think, yeah, that's we awesome. We got to embrace those things. And we have these awesome ethnic differences, right? That's what makes us so wonderful. That's what makes this country wonderful. Like I love, you know, going into, and when I lived in LA, I love going to Chinatown. You know, it was amazing. I celebrate our differences. So it was very sad to see this, to see the things that would happen. But it is what it is. It just made me stronger, to be honest with you. Well, thank you so much for coming on our show and for 
sharing your amazing story. And uh, and we're going to include all of the ways to find Danny and Plant Based Mafia in our show notes. So check that out at plantpoweredpeople.com. And uh, well, I'll change that later. Uh, Plant Powered at plantpoweredpodcast.com. And uh, thank you again, Danny. No problem whatsoever. Did you guys want any heads up on the book, on the book? So some of the things that um, I referenced, you were mentioning that the sources. Yeah, definitely. And if you have any final words or anything you'd like to share, please do. Okay, sure. So um, the last thing, just the last thing I'd leave you with, if you're really struggling with health, health issues in general, there are some really good books. Dr. Esselstyn is someone who's phenomenal to go and, and, and study. Uh, Dr. Greger, he's got uh, nutritionfacts.org, all free. Like doc, uh, what Dr. Greger's doing is amazing, and he does such great work. Um, Dr. Joel Furman, The End of Heart Disease, uh, The Plant-Based Athlete. And then, of course, you know, the great uh, Game Changer on Netflix, What the Health on Netflix. Those things really get people, you know, educated because education is the key to understanding how your body works. And the one thing I really want to let your listeners know, be your best health advocate. The doctors that you're going to really, if you don't have a close relationship with them and you're going to a new cardiologist or whatever, they have no trust in you that you will change your dietary habits or work out and they're going to just pump you with drugs. Be your best advocate and make sure that you remember you ate yourself into disease and you will be able to eat yourself out of disease. And I just want them to know that. That's really powerful. A beautiful way to end this episode. Thank you so much for all you're doing. And I can't wait to see everything else unfold in the future, the big, big things happening. So thank you once again. Thanks, Danny. Thank you so much for having me on. Very much appreciated. A quick reminder before we go to check out our sponsors of this episode, Caraway Home, the makers of absolutely beautiful, gorgeous cookware and bakeware that I personally love. Um, if you visit carawayhome.com and use the special code PLANTPOWEREDKITCHEN at checkout, you can get 10% off your next purchase. Happy cooking! I just felt so many different emotions in this episode. I felt really sad for his losses of his friend and his girlfriend who's named Kelly. Uh, we didn't catch that in the episode, but her name is Kelly. And to learn about to learn about the depth of pain that he felt and how it really changed him, especially with his uh, with the loss of his friend and how it inspired him to get his own healthcare um, situated and move him in the direction of plant-based living was really powerful. And I'm grateful that he shared his story. And I feel like I, I just can't wait to see how he continues inspiring the people of Florida and then the world to eat more plant-based food. Definitely. A lot of times when you experience such an extreme loss, it can go like one of two ways. Like usually you stop caring about yourself, right? <laughs> like it's like almost nothing matters and you can just fall into the depths of the despair. But then the best way to pull yourself out is find something that's bigger than you, like a cause that's bigger than you. And he really is on a mission to help people and inspire people and uh, prevent the suffering that he's been through and also take 
the life that he kind of indicated he was given by the loss of his friend, that's what enabled him to to find out about his heart conditions before it was too late and really make his life something that uh, is changing the world. So yeah, a beautiful story. I hope you all enjoyed it. As always, you can find all the show notes and see all our other episodes at plantpoweredpodcast.com. And if you want to support the show, you can do that on Patreon um, with as little as a few dollars a month. It really helps us out and just definitely warms our heart. And that's patreon.com slash plantpoweredpeople. Thank you all. We hope you're having a beautiful day, night, morning, weekend, weekday, (laughs) whenever you're tuning in. And we will talk to you in the next episode. Bye. Bye.